Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of If Not Us. I am your host, Eric Fakus, and I have the pleasure of speaking with my old friend, Jason Resign today. Thank you for joining us, Jason. Thanks for having me on, Eric. It's uh, a pleasure to, um, to reconnect over uh, new issues after a long time. So uh, today's episode is about press freedom. And uh, Jason has uh, a lot of experience with, with that. Um, Jason is a, a reporter, journalist for the Washington Post. Um, he also directly experienced some of the, the, the pitfalls and, um, and, and real painful moments of being uh, a, an international journalist when he was imprisoned in Iran for five, 544 days. Um, a couple of years ago and wrote a wonderful book about it. If anyone hasn't seen or read Prisoner um, by Jason Rosian, I recommend you pick it up and, and check it out. I think one of, the, one of the best reviews that I read about it um, was uh, something to the extent of, um, you know, how this was a, you know, obviously a, a, an historical uh, moment, a, a true story, but it read like a spy novel. Um, and that's just the experience that that you lived uh, for those uh, almost two years. So um, I I couldn't agree more when I read it. It's it's hard to put down. It's an exciting story. It's also painful to to read as uh, someone that knows you personally and and went through a lot of those struggles together from the other side of the world. Um, I I certainly don't want to relive that moment. But for for people that haven't heard of you before, haven't met you or read your, your book. Um, if you could share a little bit of that background, that would be really helpful. Yeah. So I, I had moved uh, to Iran in 2009 um, after traveling back and forth many times um, for the previous several years, um, freelancing. And I decided that, um, you know, my dream had always been to, to be a foreign correspondent. And this was my opportunity, right? I had enough experience at that point and a bit of a, a catalog of work that I could point to. And so, you know, in 2009, I became really the only U.S. citizen based in Iran working as a journalist. And Iran is not the same kind of media landscape as the United States or Europe or something like that. I mean, you go there and you have to register with the, the ministry that oversees press activities and you have to have a letter from a news organization in your home country that is sponsoring your, um, your accreditation. Uh, and I had that. Uh, and I, I worked in, in, in that way in full transparency uh, within the red lines of that system for years. Uh, in, the, in the middle of that, in 2012, I was approached uh, to take over the Washington Post Bureau job, which you know, was a, a golden opportunity for somebody who uh, works in, in the news business. And I did that uh, for several years and I loved it. It was a chance to have a say in, um, you know, in the paper of record of the US Capitol. 
and things were going on uh, perfectly normally by the standards of, of Iran for, for my wife and me. She was a journalist for, for Bloomberg and then later for uh, The National, which is a, an English language newspaper based in Abu Dhabi. Uh, she's Iranian, born and raised in Tehran, and we lived this kind of great uh, life of a you know a media minor power couple, right? Uh, and it was it was fantastic. Our home was a place yeah. that that people visiting Tehran would descend on. We would have you know gatherings and discussions, and it, it was a great life. And then very suddenly, in the summer of 2019, in the midst of uh, very high-level nuclear negotiations between Iran and, and world powers, including the United States, our home was raided and we were taken prisoner. Uh, we didn't understand what was going on at the time. Um, we were accused of being spies, put in solitary confinement, held for a very long time, uh, both of us in solitary and ultimately, we were, you know, charged with with the crime of espionage, with conspiring with the United Nations, with the United States, to undermine uh, the national security of Iran. Obviously, that wasn't true, but you know, this was a pretense to essentially hold me, uh, a U.S. citizen, hostage against those nuclear negotiations. I was taken specifically as leverage in those negotiations, uh, which was something that didn't become clear to me until much later in my detention because I was being kept in isolation, subjected you know, to relentless uh, interrogations for, for many hours a day for months. Um, and finally, uh, as those negotiations came to a climax and, and a, a deal was being brokered, um, I was myself and several other Americans being held hostage in Iran and some Iranians being held in US prisons for violating sanctions laws were released in a, in a prisoner swap uh, in January of 2016. So that was kind of, you know, uh, one of the defining experiences of my adult life. And um, although I was, willing to work in Iran under um, the limitations and the framework of a pretty rigid system, I understood very well the importance of, of press freedom and free expression that we have here in the US and that we have in Europe and Australia and Canada and Japan and a handful of other countries. Um, and it was something that, you know, I, I don't wanna say that I took it for granted um, at the, at the time, um, but it wasn't something that I had the visceral experience of that I do now, right? And, um, and so when I came out um, five years ago or so, it became really important to me to, to defend this right and promote this, this right around the world, but especially here at home. Yep. Yeah, it's such a crazy story. Um, it's hard to do justice to all that you went through and experienced in, in Yegane as well in a short period of time. Um, but knowing you personally and seeing that journey, it's been, you know, the, the highs and lows uh, have, have been extremely low um, and, and have, you know, since gotten much higher. And it's been wonderful to see you thrive um, in a, a post uh uh, Iranian prison life that you're that you're yeah. living now. 
Um, and I, I love the, the champion that you've become for press freedom uh, around the world and have appreciated some of the stories that you've done about people um, that are being held and similar to, to, to you, sort of as leverage or for other reasons, um, but really because, you know, they are high profile in the press, like you were any target. Um, or to suppress the, the, the voice that you have and the important role that you play in, in the press and, and in the world. I'm curious, uh, when you came out, um, you know, shortly after we started hearing about the term fake news and um, while, you know, labeling uh, the press as, as fake news and, and enemy of the people and the other terms that we heard thrown around in 2015 and 2016, um, and, and still here today. I'm curious from your perspective as a, as a journalist, like how that affects you, how you feel about those, those terms. So, you know, I, I've been following this pretty closely for th these past few years. And I think that when we, when we hear government officials, whether, Amer whether they're American officials or, you know, officials in authoritarian countries, like Iran, like Turkey, like the Philippines, Egypt, Poland. These are some of the most egregious uh, users of those terms. What it really means is critical coverage, right? Fake news is, a, is an authoritarian's synonym for coverage of me that I don't like, Yeah. right? And I think that that, that is pretty well understood by most, most um, thinking, uh, media savvy, educated people, right? And I think a, a big target and a big goal of these campaigns of, of labeling things as fake news or labeling journalists as enemy of the people, it's designed to dumb down a society, right? These, it, it's, putting catchphrases to ideas that are much more complicated than yeah. the, two, the two words that, that they're being used. So for me personally, it hurts me when I see that it's working, right? That, um, that it's an uphill battle. I, um, I spoke recently um, also, you know, around World Press Freedom Day events for this year with uh, Maria Ressa, the founder of Rappler news agency in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And Maria is really on the forefront of this. I, I you know, most people don't know this, but uh, the Philippines is the country that um, people spend more time online yeah. than literally anywhere else in the world, yeah. right? So it is kind of a, a, a testing ground or a Petri dish of, uh, you know, the effect of internet and social media on um, on the society, and you know, she and her organization have really tracked the use of these terms. Um, and in in a lot of cases, in a lot of these countries, um, the 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 attacks on journalists, especially on female journalists, are very sexualized, very brutal, dehumanizing. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 demoralizing for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, my attitude has been just keep my head down and keep telling the truth because we live as much as we live in a, in a moment where there are powers at play trying to pull the wool over our eyes. 
it's also kind of a very transparent moment. You can't hide things the way that you used to, right? Um, so, you know, the, the authoritarian's play is to, to try and dupe people, right? Try and make them dumber because that's the only way to do it. So it's sad, but, you know, we have the tools available to us to combat this, but it requires a really connected and concerted effort to do that. And so for me, you know, I, I don't discriminate in terms of whether I agree with somebody's political uh, points of view about something or not. If someone is an independent journalist bringing important truths about the society they live and work in to the forefront, to the public, no matter where they stand on the political spectrum, I'm for that. And when those people are attacked, wherever they are in the world, if I catch wind of, of one of these stories, I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it out loud. And there is, you know, kind of a growing patchwork of stories that are different but connected. And unfortunately, you know, in the, the five years since my release, the number of journalists who've been imprisoned or murdered for the work that they do, uh, continues to rise. And, you know, um, the most famous, uh, well-known case, obviously, is Jamal Khashoggi, who, you know, wrote for the same section of the Washington Post as, as I did, as I do. Um, he was somebody that I was, I was just starting to get to know on a personal level. Um, we had a lot in common because we both cared very deeply about um, a country where we had roots. For me, Iran, where my father was from and where I chose to live. For him, Saudi Arabia, where he was born and raised and played a very prominent role in the politics of that society for decades. But that had ultimately been exiled yeah. and, and really harmed. And, you know, I, I was very lucky to, um, to escape that monster he was not. And so, you know, this has really added even more fuel to, to my efforts and, you know, being in the Washington Post building when we learned of Jamal's disappearance. I was the first person to write about it for the Post. I was, you know, given the assignment of writing the first story about Jamal disappearing learning, you know, details over a period of weeks and seeing how the Washington Post leadership from our publisher to the, the opinions editor, uh, to our legal team, to our PR team spring into action and knowing that so much of what they did was informed by their advocacy for me. You know, we talk about things being very meta, right? You know, some stuff hits really close to home. And, and for me, that was one of those, those kind of pivotal moments in, in my life. And, you know, I, I don't know how long I'll be a journalist, but I do know that I'm always going to be all in on advocating for press freedom and, and, and democracy and people's right to express themselves, no matter what their opinions are. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to, to imagine the, you know, that experience being on your side, um, but thankful that you're, that you're sharing that with all your stories. 
and the work that you do. I know you wanted to talk a, a bit about something that is sort of a more, you know, subtle and nuanced um, version of intimidation, psychological warfare, so to speak, uh, on journalists and in particular, something that you've been experiencing, um, you know, as a, as a follow-up to your imprisonment. Um, your your uh, the, the TV show in Iran uh, based uh, loosely off of you, which I know you and I had a, had a good chuckle about when it first came out. But you know, um, you know, we we, we laughed to, to keep from from crying. Um, it, it it's a more serious um, violation of uh, of press freedom, and I, I know that that's something that you're writing about as well. I'd love to have you go into that story. Yeah. So two years ago, I, I saw a news report on the Iranian news, a story about a television show that was being produced that was supposedly following the Jason Rezaian spy case. And there was a picture of an actor who, you know, I mean, I think, was he bald uh, with glasses and overweight? Yeah. Do you look like me? I don't think so. I think I'm, I'm a lot better looking than that guy. But, you know, this was like the ultimate act of, of trolling, right? It was extending the abuse of me from what they did to me to a fictionalized account, supposedly of me, uh, where they, they tried to make me look guilty of all sorts of uh, crimes and misdemeanors. You know, I was the architect of sanctions against Iran. I was, you know, I was dictating what the Iran's nuclear negotiators were doing in their negotiations with Americans. Uh, I, you know, I was a, an immoral person smoking cigarettes and drinking and carousing with women. You know, they were fat shaming me. I mean, like all kinds of shit, you know? I don't know if we can say that, but, but it, it was a combination of all those things. And, you know, it was 30 episodes, the highest budgeted uh, television show in the history of the Islamic Republic. Wow. Um, and there was a concerted, uh, coordinated social media campaign with hashtags and everything along with it. And that ended up with, you know, months of my wife and I receiving every manner of death threat that, that you could imagine. And, you know, that was two years ago. They did a second season right recently, uh, aired in, in April of this year. And in that season, the villain is a, an MI6 operative, but, you know, I'm supposedly in touch with with this person. So, you know, I appear a couple of times in the show, but the, but the second season opens with um, a scene of an Iranian exiled journalist. This is a true story, uh, exiled to in France who uh, ran a, a very successful and highly trafficked news site, was lured to Iraq by Iranian agents abducted there, taken back to, uh, to Tehran, uh, and then put on trial and ultimately executed late last year. So, you know, the opening scene is a glorification of that, right? You know, they're in a third country, you know, he's, he's you know, traveling to a meeting, doesn't know who he's going to meet. And, you know, there's these members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps they put a hood over his head, put him in the back of a van, 
take him back to, you know, Iran, unhood him, and, you know, here he is in Tehran. It's the glorification and justification of extraterritorial abduction and extrajudicial murder. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a big deal, right? Especially when, you know, this is being portrayed as factual, right? They're, they're taking credit for this thing that they did. In the series that they made where I'm the antagonist, the first 28 and a half episodes are, uh, you know, figments of their imagination. I mean, it's like all of the, the ridiculous accusations they made against me. But in the last episode, episode and a half, deals with the time in which I'm arrested and being held and then traded for. And in that context, you get to see the world as these people would like it to be, right? And um, I, I think that there is a deep responsibility on the United States government, on the United Nations, on the international community, especially at a time when we're negotiating with the leadership of Iran to push back on this sort of thing. Somebody needs to be held accountable. Now, if, if they're not gonna be held accountable for what they did to me, uh, they need to be held accountable for other cases. In this case, Ruhol Azam was the name of the, uh, the, the journalist who was lured back and then executed. In the, in, the, in the weeks that the second series was airing, my wife and I started getting all kinds of death threats once again. And often the things that they would say were directed at, at she and I, at our, our, our infant child, right? And, and in, 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 in many instances, we're going to do to you what the Saudis did to Khashoggi, you know? So my point in saying that is that all of these things are connected. This is one world. And, you know, tomorrow it'll be uh, Egypt doing a show like this. And next month it'll be the Philippines. And right after that, it'll be Russia. And all of those efforts to undermine the work of, of, of the press that are, are being made online, when they're brought into the sphere of popular culture, especially television and film, uh, and, and huge budgets are put behind it, it's an indication of how important the work that we do is. It really is this kind of flattery, right? Like, am I a spy that, that created the sanctions you know, on Iran? Did I do anything to undermine Iran's national security? Did I, you know, uh, was I sold back to America for $1.7 billion? No, none of that stuff's true. But, you know, the fact that they can attach all of that to, to, to a journalist goes to show you how important the work that we do actually is. And for me, I, you know me as well as anyone, and I like to make light of things, you know, and there is something ridiculously funny about this whole thing. At the same time, it's deadly serious. I couldn't agree more. I have a, a picture. We'll let you decide if this uh, looks like you or not. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I think they did a great job of like, you know, getting the color and the glasses, but I'm, I'm a much better looking guy. Than that. <laughs>
And I never wear a trench coat. I'm not. I've never seen you wear a trench coat before. Uh, I can <laughs> attest to that. I'm I'm glad your sense of humor is is as strong as it is, and your optimism is as uh, great as it is. Um, because you know these are real serious things, and I know that you do take it seriously. But uh, yeah, I agree. It's a testament to the importance of the work that you and and others do. If it's worth it for them to go to such great lengths, yeah, to discredit it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the, for me, that's the missing headline here. Obviously, I think they thought that I would shut up and I haven't, and I'm not gonna, and neither are other people, right? So we're gonna be fighting this fake news moniker for a long time. The best way to do it, I think, is to just kind of present, present facts, right? Just keep pushing out the reality. And sometimes, you know, for me, when I tell these stories about other journalists who've been murdered or um, detained, stories in the media about the media traditionally don't get a lot of attention, right? So I've always just tried to find the human angles of um, the people who are being persecuted. A couple of years ago in Myanmar, the regime there uh, detained two Reuters journalists because they uncovered you know, genocide against the Rohingya Muslims. And I, you know, I, I just, it was a massive story, but one that couldn't get as much traction as it should. And, you know, I did everything I could to just like talk about who these guys are, you know, two young guys, one, one, a, a recent dad, you know, thrown in prison because he's telling the truth. I mean, that kind of persecution, that kind of injustice is not new. And, and to me, you know, it's kind of like a badge of honor to be a point on this long continuum of, of people who have been subjected to injustice by mass, massive power, you know, much greater than themselves. And some of us have fortunately survived to tell about it. And some of us haven't, but you know, it's like, it's part of the human condition, right? And as long as it exists, we're going to have work to do. I love the fact that your uh, response is to continue to, to tell the truth, continue to expose um, injustice and in, in the work that you do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some perspective from w what I see and, uh, yeah. and leave you with that. I love the phrase that you used uh, earlier describing um, fake news, the, calling it a catchphrase, a good catchphrase. Yeah. And to me, as a marketer, a lifelong marketer, I see things um, and it doesn't surprise me when, when they stick. Um, right. Branding matters so much and getting a, a quick catchphrase etched into someone's brain makes it more repeatable and makes it more uh, shareable. I don't like to give Donald Trump credit for much, um, but the branding that he did, um, yeah. the nicknames that he gave people, the catchphrases like fake news is what had them take, uh, take off right. and take off. Right. So um, if journalism's role is to, continue to expose the truth, um, continue to, 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 to share um, what's happening. There needs to be some branding uh, in it. There needs to be catchphrases to combat the, you know, the, the, the work that is being done to discredit you. Yeah. 
And I'm not saying that you fight fire with fire. Um, you know, we don't need to create a TV show about uh, somebody else uh, to right. you know expose them in the same way. But yeah, it's that it's that catchiness, it's that little branding that I think is missing. Uh, the the truth is wonderful, but sometimes it it's a long story. You know, right. we live in a society where people read headlines, not articles. Yeah. Um, you know, it needs to, the catchphrases matter. I don't know how to act on this, but just an observation. If, uh, if we had people um, thinking about the, the catchphrases that will protect um, press freedom and uphold the credibility uh, of, of reporters and journalists the same way that people are working so hard to discredit them, we'd be in a better place. I agree with you a thousand percent. And, you know, you straddle an interesting line between marketers and, uh, and NGOs. And I think that um, it is not a knock on, on activists and, and, and NGOs, but so often the work that they do is grounded in a lot of research and wordiness, right? And the selling of the idea, you know, I think that there's this attitude sometimes that like, well, the idea sells itself because it's so important. So like, well, it's important to you and to your organization and the people that that care about the thing that you care about. Yeah. But the trick is how do you make other people who don't care about that thing care about that thing? Yeah. And you know, that's I think the the kind of sweet spot um in in your world and in my world, right? Like we we spend actually a lot of time on on headlines. I don't, you know, I I have the first crack at writing my own headline. Mm-hmm. And I have a say in, you know, if I don't like a headline that an editor has come up with. Um, but, you know, we have, um, we have Slack channels at the Washington Post uh, in different departments. I, in the two departments I've worked in, we had these. I don't know about other departments where we, we workshop headlines. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you give two or three sentences about what the story is hey, everybody, I need some help with the headline. And it's just an incredible process to watch. Like over the span of an hour, people, you know, kind of share ideas back and forth. And, you know, the the author says, well, I don't want that word in there because of X. And invariably, you end up with the perfect headline, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, it's gone through this process of multiple people doing it. And I think, um, I think we need more of that, right? Like, like less time focused on, okay, you know, we need to present this policy, um, you know, um, document to the administration or to Congress or whatever to get them to do X and more time, like thinking about how are we going to get people to care about this? Yeah. Why does this matter to everybody? That's great that you guys do that with headlines. Do you ever, um, does the same thing ever take place with issues that are persistent? you know, uh, or players that are persistent. And I bring this up because the other core element of branding, so we've Mm -hmm. got catchphrase, the other core element is repetition, right? right? So, you know, there's a reason why Trump says the same thing three times in a sentence, right? It's the start of repetition. And then the next time he, next time he's speaking, he says the same thing. And then the next 10 cronies all say the same thing, right? It's the repetition. And then after you've heard it a thousand times, 
it becomes part of the vernacular. And I'm wondering, like, are, are there, do you guys talk about labels? Like, are there things I think that, the, that you know, go from story to story? Because that would be a really interesting element to, to bring into journalism. I mean, I think our, our initial kind of gut response to that would be, we don't want to do that. And, you know, oftentimes we, um, we change. And, you know, I, I tell this, this story sometimes that, you know, in 2012, uh, when I was, you know, still working in, in Tehran, you know, I got a company wide email from somebody in the HR department saying that um, we weren't supposed to use social media during working hours. Uh, and, 2012, you know, huh? That was 2012, right? Um, and, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I understand why as a, as a correspondent out in the field, they want me to tweet out my stuff and they want me to post it on Facebook and they want me to, you know, uh, use social media. They must be talking about accounting and, you know, uh, people who don't have a reason to use it all the time because it's a waste of their time or whatever. And you flash forward, you know, now we have a, a guy whose sole job is to make a TikTok video every day, right? And and I think that's awesome. And but it just kind of goes to show how things change over time, how the mentality changes. Um, you know, for a long time, um, we couldn't judge. And I remember talking to you in the early two thousands about geo targeting and and you know all of this sort of stuff. I mean, it's gotten so much more precise now. Right. We know how long anybody's on any given article. We know, you know, where they came from, where they were four clicks before that and where they went to after it. Um, we know so much more about it. So, you know, if a if an editor's attitude at, at a certain time was people aren't interested in stories about, you know, food. Right. Now we have data that says it doesn't matter what the editor says. The data tells us that people want to read about hamburgers in Vietnam, right? Uh, and so we kind of can follow those leads in a much more precise way than, than we ever could before. Uh, but in terms of repetition, I don't know. And I think that, again, like if you were to ask our reader, our average reader, they would probably say to you, that insults our intelligence and we don't want to, you know, be repeated to. But as you and I both know, their subconscious mind wants exactly that. So, um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting question. Yeah, it's a little ahead ahead of the times. Maybe I think I understand why journalism wouldn't want to, you know, yeah. try to influence like that. But if you think about social media and the role that that plays, it is really about influencing. And if you can influence uh, around the truth with better branding and better taglines that yeah. exist from story to story. You create a narrative that repeats. Uh, you're yeah. less likely to have a story of two rooters, uh, journalists being murdered and have that be a blip on the right. radar right. And, and go away. It becomes uh, part of a larger narrative um, that I think sticks in people's minds more with better branding. So totally. uh, my goal is better branding uh, for all issues that matter. And uh, yeah, that's, that's because that's what I work in. Well, I think it's a lofty goal. And I think that, you know, news is moving in that direction. Um, you know, for a long time, 
you know, for decades, right? We were ahead of the curve on a lot of things. I think for the last 15, 20 years, we might've been slightly behind it, but, you know, especially my company, I think we're, we're catching up fast and, you know, pushing boundaries again. So, um, you know, I, I'm bullish on our future, but, uh, but there's always work to be done and adjustments to be made around how you tell a story. I love the work that the Post does. Um, I subscribe to a handful of news outlets. Um, it's important to pay for, for journalism. Um, the, the Post is one of my favorite and I encourage everybody else to subscribe. Uh, read Jason's uh, work, um, particularly the, the article coming out right around Press Freedom Day that talks about uh, the infamous TV show. It's uh, Grando, right, is the name of the Grando. Gando. G-A-N-D-O. Uh, yeah, we don't need to get any more into that. But I will say that, you know, if I was worth, uh, you know, 30 episodes worth of budget and multiple shooting locations uh, in Iran, the podcast that I have coming out on Spotify uh, this summer, uh, which is nine episodes, is definitely worth your time. So it's called 544 Days. It's a, a retelling of... Uh, uh, of my story from the perspective of all the people who were involved in government and the Washington Post and my family uh, in efforts to to get me out. And uh, as we say, it's a doozy. When when does it come out? July. July. Uh, is, there link, a, is there a link that a, people can go to now? Not yet. So you know, I'm 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 breaking news right here that uh, okay. the, the the deal is is inked and this is coming soon. Awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm excited to, to listen. Uh, we'll bookmark that for July and, uh, and make sure to, to listen to that. Thank um, you very much. Well, I appreciate all the time, Jason. I know you got a lot going on. Um, but before you go, um, being, you know, that press freedom day is so near and dear to, to your heart and so many others, anyone that's listening and, and wants to do something about supporting a free press, um, do you have any recommendations of how they can be part of the solution? Yeah, I want to repeat something that you just said. I mean, I pay for journalism. Uh, you know, I always say, you know, subscribe to one national paper and a local paper as well, if there is one. If there's not, you know, find the closest, best thing in a community nearby because they need your support. Uh, and they are um, endangered species, to be perfectly honest. Um, vote in elections and, um, and, you know, more than anything, be mindful consumers of information. Try and look beyond the headlines. Try and read into the catchphrases. As we, uh, as we say, you know, think for yourself because um, there's plenty of people around who are going to offer to think for you, uh, but there's no uh, better replacement than, than your own mind when it comes to parsing out what you care about, what you believe in, um, and really what matters to, to your family and your future. I mean, you know, when you pick up the Washington Post, not every article is intended for you, but much of it could be. And even those things that aren't can enrich your understanding of the world around you. So, you know, be savvy consumers of information and, and try and verify, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Gosh, this is, this is dad, baby dad brain, uh, <laughs> diversify diversify your sources of your of, of information you know um there was a time you know when we were kids 
you know, that our parents understand much better than we do, but that most people would, would have subscription to two newspapers to understand what the other side thought, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, we are so adamant about hearing our own voices amplify right. these. The echo chamber. Yeah. You know, you don't want, you know, you want to drown out what the other guy's saying because you don't want his side to win. That's not a good way. I mean, you know, hear him out and, you know, prove him wrong with facts. I couldn't agree more. I, uh, on election night, I tuned into Fox News. Yeah. Going back and forth. Yeah. Um, between CNN and Fox News and MSNBC yeah. all night. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised and yeah, I'm happy to have educated myself in that way. Um, but just to just to see both sides and 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 you know the side that maybe I'm guilty of villainizing as well um, was telling a different perspective and you know not every guest on there maybe was uh, someone that I agreed with but uh, many of the the news anchors were very credible and in, in the story that they were telling. I think it very you know it is very important to hear what the other side is saying or other sides are saying. And, and to, to be able to parse out what's true and what's not, right? And you yeah. can't do that if you're just listening to your own single silo of information. Awesome advice, Jason. Thanks again for, for all of it. Press freedom, more important than, than ever, in my opinion. I hope everyone takes a moment on May 5th to think about the service that uh, journalists uh, serve all of us with and, uh, and, and listen to Jason's advice. To, to celebrate press freedom, not just on May 5th, but every day. So um, thank you again. Thank you for listening. Um, remember, change belongs to all of us. If not us, then who? If not now, then when is the theme of the podcast. We all have the power to make a difference in the world. So similar to Jason, find your passion and, and follow it and stand for what matters to, to you. If you want to suggest a, a host or an episode for us to do, go to if not us. Uh, dot tv and let us know thanks again see you later